Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 76 for Sunday, March 11th, 2012. It is uh, the beginning of Daylight Savings Time, and I'm Bill Wadman. And I'm Dan Gottesman. And we have a guest today. Yes. Uh, Brad Rigo, you are a independent filmmaker. Uh, I am, yes. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, long, how long have you been making movies? Oh, geez. Well, I guess, uh, I mean, I've been making movies since I was, you know, 14, 15. You know, I, I think I, you know, I started just like everybody else starts out in movies, which is, you know, you you kind of take your dad's video camera when he's not looking and you make stupid little movies with your friends. And yeah. so, you know, I started out that way. And then as the interest kind of grew more and more, I started to get more, a little bit more professional. Like I went to... Uh, New York Film Academy a lot of years back, and uh, and then just kind of developed it over time, getting hopefully a little better as I went. <laughs> you know, uh, did you ever steal your dad's video camera, Dan? My dad never had a video camera. Ah, see, you know, I, it's interesting though that people our age, I mean, in the mid '80s, like there were video cameras around. But I will I will amend that. But okay. many of my friends' dads had video cameras. Aha, uh-huh. and so uh. that and that that. That phenomenon did very much occur around me, but uh, I did steal my dad's still camera. <laughs> oh well, that counts uh, too. Yeah, so I, you know, that's how I got into photography. But it, but uh, it's a bit you could actually, you know, start making movies as a kid. Yeah, it's true. Well, I think Video Eight, Sony's Video Eight eight millimeter uh, video technology, was a huge boon to the home video market back in the late eighties and early nineties. It because you know just made it that much more portable and yeah more accessible. I guess the um, annoying thing back then was editing, right? You know. Oh yeah, there's no such oh, thing as yeah. editing. <laughs> it's all in camera. <laughs> was it was it in camera? Or, I mean, I guess you could set up a VCR on the other side and and try to do cuts with pauses that's, and. That's very advanced. Yeah, that's yeah. way too, that's way too complicated for like a. Well, I, I guess maybe not now, but I I was going to say way too complicated for a 15 year old kid. But we now, were simple. We were. <laughs> yeah, like you know, I had v, I had a VHS. Oh, my dad had a VHS camera. I think it was like an NEC. Oh, nice. VHS camera. <laughs> and those big shoulder mount ones where like the, the cassette goes into the camera and everything? The giant <laughs> oh, camcorder? Yeah. Oh, oh nice. yes. And so, you know, any editing or any ideas of editing that we had was all just, well, if that take didn't look good, we'll just rewind the tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just edit <laughs> over. So, <laughs> yeah, and so what ended up happening is you would always, you could never quite get it right. And so when you're watching it, you would always have like, uh, uh, like a residue of the previous take, yeah. uh, you know, a split second before the yeah. actual take. It, two, it was two or three frames of of, of bizat in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. Now, uh, why why horror? Well, uh, you know, actually, wait. Let's back up for a second because okay. right. you're, you're the movie you you you've completed and and people can go actually see if if they've got things going on is uh, the killing of Jacob Marr. Correct. Right. That, that's the movie. Yeah, okay. we we released that um, a little over a year ago. Okay, um, and it is a full feature. What is it like? One hundred and ten minutes, one hundred and two minutes, or something? Uh, it is uh, one hundred and forty-seven. That's a that's, that's no. I'm sorry. That's one that's hour forty-seven. Right. Oh, so a hundred. It's, it's an hour and forty-seven. So, so it's one hundred and seven minutes. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's like that. that is daunting to me. The idea of making a movie that's an hour and a half long. I mean, does it feel that way to you or was it like more of just a, 
it's it's that's how it is. Uh, I mean, I, no, I mean that's kind of how it is. At least that's how I always I always think of it. I mean, I tend to with with my stuff. I I tend to always go longer. So. For whatever reason, I have a real problem making short things. Uh, so, like, you know, the, the last movie that I did before this, uh, before the killing of Jacob Marr, was supposed to be, you know, it started out when I wrote it, it was supposed to be a short. It was supposed to be like a half hour long, and that ended up turning out to be 80-something minutes, you know? So, <laughs> it's, it, it, for me, I guess, it, it doesn't seem odd. Um, yeah. Because everything I do tends to drag itself out way longer than it probably should. Do, do, mm. do you see that as as a a not I, the word is terrible, but a weakness of yours that like, like it's that's something you need to rein in? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, you know, the 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 first cut of Jacob Marr it was about I think maybe like ten minutes longer than what it was. Okay. Mm. And so it uh, it's you know there's 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 a term in. Um, in writing and filmmaking or whatever called like killing your babies sure where you have to kind of go through and even the scenes that you really like no matter how good they are you have to kind of cut them down and so that's always that's always a tough thing you know because i want to i want everything in there and then you you have to like look at it and be like oh this is this is really too long i gotta cut this thing back yeah so now this is a uh, as far as the horror genre goes this is considered a slasher film Yes, okay. yeah, it, it is a slasher in the subgenre of horror. It's mm. it's it's all f- like horror is one of those things. Like I have a, a, a f- my friend Lindsay is in lots of horror films, right? Mm-hmm. I mean she 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 does advertising work and all that kind of stuff, but like she has friends who do horror stuff and she's in all these different movies and it's fascinating to me the people who love horror and they'll go see anything that is horror, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the things that are really great, things that are really terrible, they don't care. It's like, it's, if it's horror, I'm there, right. you know? Um, so in some ways making a horror film means that you almost, you're almost guaranteed to have an audience. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, I think the thing that makes horror so accessible, um, from like an independent standpoint, or at least from, from an audience standpoint as well, is like, uh, horror is one of the few types of movies where you're not you're never really going for the actors specifically you're not really going for the names you're not really going for you're going for the the feeling you know people go to horror movies to either be entertained from being scared or or being shocked or frightened or even you know you know they they kind of get scared and then laugh or whatever but they're going for the experience of being scared or grossed out, or whatever. They're not really going for for other reasons. And so, now, granted, that being said, I, you know, I, I enjoy a good horror movie that has a good story and characters and all that other stuff. But I think the fact that people are going to horror movies more for the feeling of it and the essence of it, it allows them to kind of open their mind and see some of these more independent stuff. They're not really interested. In, oh, I'm not really interested in seeing, you know, the the latest A list star. I'm not worried about seeing that. I want to go because I want to see something that's going to scare me, that's going to kind of fill me with suspension and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that's where the independent realm for horror works really well is yeah. because you, the audience, you can kind of get somebody in. If you tell them it's a horror movie, they know what they want. They're like, well, I want to be scared when I go see a horror movie. I'm not really interested in seeing 
Anna Paquin or I'm sure. not interested in seeing some big name star. I, I just want to be scared. That's that's the objective. And well, I would and I would even further that um, to say that like having big name stars actually kind of takes away from that. Um, because when, when someone goes to see a, a movie and they, they know the people in the movie, they go into the movie with, with a bit of, uh, you know, an, an investment, if you will, you know, like they already have some familiarity with that character and they might, you know, not want that person to die or they, or they might want, you know, they might want, you know, their mo- they might have some motivation, be it positive or negative. Whereas with this indie, with the indie stuff, you don't know anybody. So you really don't know what the hell's going to happen. It's sure. true. Know? No, think about it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, even just uh, you know, I I I watched your film on Friday night, and it's like you you, you have uh, let's see one two three four five main characters at the beginning, and you have no idea who's going to die first. I mean, you know they're going to die, right? Or somebody's going to die. A number well, yeah. of them, most of them are going to die, but you don't know which and how and when, right? I guess that's the big question. That's right. Um, but it's so okay. So you have some idea. Is is it hard with slasher films to do something new? Because there have been so many in the past, and it's people running around, and people get killed in gross ways, and you know what I mean, like that—that—that that, that it's 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 defined. Yes, uh, it is. It, it is. It is hard to do something new, and 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 by no means do I do, do I imply that what I did was new. I mean, I feel like I feel like what I did was very much within the uh, the confines of the slasher genre. I didn't sure. really do anything anything breakout. Um, but it is. It is hard because there are so many out there, and especially now with the with the newest technology, it's so it's so much easier to make a movie on such a smaller budget and make it look really good. And so you end up having more people with more access, and so the market is much larger. And so there's so many independent films out there, and so many horror movies because they're cheaper to make. Uh, it is hard to come up with something a little bit different or a little bit new, and. I guess I don't necessarily set out with that idea, like, oh, I want to come up with something different and new. Uh, you know, when, when I when I do these movies, really, it's more of just a, a matter of coming up with things that I enjoy seeing. And when, so when I'm watching horror movies, when I'm watching uh, different things, different aspects of other movies that I like, uh, I try and incorporate into my own stuff, you know, and, and try and pick out things that way not necessarily thinking of oh what can i do here that's different or new it's more of just like well, what what do i like to see and what do i like to you know what what situations frighten me and uh and try and kind of incorporate that yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. it's uh, a <laughs> and you you filmed in a cabin we did <laughs> so, so you, you would you go just rent a cabin somewhere or did you yeah. was this somebody's house or how did you do that uh, we just rented a cabin. Uh, we went on to this, this website called, um, uh, was it homeaway.com, okay. which is just a regular, regular website that you can go and you can rent houses and vacation pl- spots all over the country. Yeah. And uh, when, you know, when I was scouting locations, I just started looking for cabins on homeaway.com that were in this area of the region. I looked in New York and Pennsylvania and Jersey, Connecticut. Um, and I, what I did was I, I first kind of combed the area for ones that looked good. And then I started contacting people and saying, Hey, uh, how would you feel about a horror movie being filmed in your cabin? Hmm. And some of them were not so excited about that, strangely enough. And Hmm. some of them were okay with it. And so the ones that were okay with it, I started looking around and and, uh, taking trips up to different places and, so the place that we settled on that's in the movie is in the Catskills. So it's in this little 
this little tiny town called South Courtright, New York. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the population is, but it's pretty small. Well, why, why, just for interest's sake, why, why did you even bother telling them? Because, I mean, it's not like you were doing any damage to the property, right? Uh, you didn't true. want people thinking like, oh, people are going to recognize this in a horror movie and not want to come no. here? It's more of a, it's more of a release thing. It's more of like a oh, a that's true. Thing. Okay, you're right. Yeah. So if like you know, it's it's great if the movie doesn't do anything and doesn't go anywhere and nobody sees it. But if um, God if forbid it, it blows up, yeah, yeah. If something ever happens and then all of a sudden you know they happen to see that that's their that's their cabin uh, on the big screen, they're going to be a little upset. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. So it, I, yeah, I had the same problem when I was working on my Drabbles project. I wanted somebody to to be dead to be like mm. a portrait of a dead body and no one wanted to do it. I always really? thought that somebody, everyone would want to play dead. I figured that would be like, Oh, I just find somebody to play dead. Mm. And I couldn't find one person who wanted to do it. It was very, very dope. I finally ended up finding somebody, but I asked at least six people before I found somebody, mm. which I just thought was kind of interesting. That um, is weird. So now you, you obviously, why don't you give us the, can you give us the 30 second synopsis just so as we talk about this, people will have some idea. Sure. It's, um, the movie is about these five friends who decide that they're going to take a trip up to the, ca- up to the mountains and spend a weekend together, um, at this cabin that is just newly renovated. It just kind of came out and is, uh, is now been, uh, this is the, they're the first people to go up there and rent from it. Uh, what they don't know is that the previous owner of the cabin, there was a horrific event that happened there 20 years ago, and one of the residents of that cabin is still in the woods and is uh, is not happy about these new renters. So <laughs> that's the 30-second that's the synopsis, I guess. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's so genius because it's like all you got to do is set it up, and you're like, okay, I can see how the rest falls out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is one of the easier things about about horror is you you don't really have to sell it necessarily. Yeah. You kind of just you just throw out the idea of what it could be, and then just like okay, that's fine. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and then, now, how how many days did you spend shooting? Uh, in total, it was probably like thirty five or so. But we didn't we didn't do it all in all in one shot. What we did was we filmed uh, for six weekends in January and February. So uh, every weekend, every Friday night after everyone got out of work, we would drive three and a half hours up to the Catskills and film almost continuously from uh, from Friday till Sunday, and then drive back Sunday afternoon. Wow! Um, hmm. Yeah, it was it was it was a little uh, it was a little crazy, and so we filmed that for six consecutive weekends from from January to February, and then kind of after that. We would film uh, all the all the events leading up to the cabin. After that, so like there's several driving scenes. There's like a convenience store scene. There's an office scene. All of the stuff that leads up to it, we filmed in the in the weekends, kind of after it. So I think we we went back to the cabin to film the prologue sequence in June because um, there's a there's a 10 minute prologue sequence that that happens where it sets up in the cabin yeah. uh, that we filmed in June about a, a month or two after we had already finished kind of principal photography, so to speak. So, uh, Oh, that's so interesting. Whole- I, I had, you know, I just thought about the fact that the weather was completely different. So you'd have to go back at a different time. Mm. Yeah. That, I mean, cause we wanted it to be, cause it's supposed to be 20 years earlier. And yeah. obviously I, you know, the best way that I, I thought of to kind of convey that since I can't really do any construction of the cabin, I can't change it in any major way was to uh, just change the season. 
So when the when the people are up there, it's in the middle of winter, and when uh, when it's supposed to be twenty years earlier, it's in the middle of summer. And so the hope there was that the change of season would kind of make it look a little younger, that type of thing. No, no, no that definitely worked. Uh, Dan, that's like, could you imagine how much footage that is just to go through? Yeah, well, I <laughs> I actually I think I have a little bit more experience than you do, Bill, in. Uh, Working in video and it's true motion pictures and uh, it's yeah man I, I uh, you know I used to work at a post house and um, I've also got a lot of friends in the business uh, one of my friends uh, actually I think one of our former guests Brian Callies yep uh, also dabbles in the the indie horror uh, genre he hasn't done anything uh, lately but uh, before he got into documentary stuff uh, actually no I take it back he, he's done a couple of short things um, he just did something. That was in a film festival in Chicago, which I can't remember. Uh, I think really? it was called Gargalese, I think it was what it was called. Um, I think it was about a tickle monster or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to look it up, but it was something really silly. And then he, But he's got tons of concepts, man. He's always bouncing stuff off to me. He's the one who, uh, who introduced me to the whole concept, which I hadn't really thought about. But apparently, and maybe you can, uh, you can sort of relate to this, Brad, as, as uh, I'm assuming... as you're also a fan of horror films in, in addition yeah. to making them. Um, but Brian was saying how for the, for the super fans there, there's, there's these people who are just into the film just, just for the kills, you know, just for the, the killing. And, and he, he basically calls it horror porn, you sure. know, cause it's basically like the people, you know, they don't really care what the plot of the movie is. They don't really care about the actors or whatever. They just, they just want to see the action. They just want to see how's this guy going to get killed next or what, or what's, you know, what's, What's the next gross Fast thing that's going to happen? through the dialogue. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, oh, I guess that kind of makes sense. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's, well, uh, well, hold on a second. Brad, if you – so you went up there for six weekends. How much footage did you have? Hours? Uh, I, think, I think total we had 20 hours of footage. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. I, I knew a guy once who had to edit a Nine Inch Nails live concert. Mm-hmm. And he had – let's say they, you know, play two hours a night. They filmed the entire tour, and oh, wow. it, he had like 143 shows by two hours to cut down to an hour and a half. Jeez. Oh, my God. And that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. He had like 180 versions of each song. Wow. Oh, God. That, I, cu- I couldn't even imagine how awful that is. I, wow. I know. Were it's you, like purgatory when he told were me. You, um, like, were you shooting to tape or to cards, Brad? Uh, I was shooting to P2 cards. Oh, nice. Okay, so, so that's one huge headache you don't have to worry about is digitizing. Then, yeah, it was it was it was actually the first time that I'd really shot with um, like I, I'd shot a couple shorts with the camera that I had, which shoots to, which is uh, the Panasonic uh, HPX 170, which uh-huh. like I said shoots to these P2 cards, uh-huh. and I'd done a couple shorts with that, but I hadn't really done anything this extensive with it. So it was a, a little bit of a learning experience to try and make this switch from tape to to completely digital files uh and, and a little nerve-wracking to be honest like you know you're up at a cabin um you know there's no real internet connection because there's no signal for anything mm-hmm. so you, you know just you're just like there the with a, it, it's it's about <laughs> as close to the movie as possible i mean we were outside <laughs> at three in the morning it was minus eight degrees out there were wolves howling in the woods. It was, it was, it was about as close to the movie setting as, as humanly possible, and there was nobody around. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, I mean, you're you're out there, and you know, you're you're downloading your files off this camera, and you're on the you know, we're on a very tight schedule because it's only a weekend, and you we had a lot of shots to go through, and so 
you're downloading files and then you immediately have to wipe the card and continue on. And right. without having that tape as a backup, right. it's very nerve wracking because you're like, well, these are just all ones and zeros <laughs> on something else with ones and zeros. Yeah. <laughs> and I have nothing to back this up. Like, I mean, obviously, we did like a redundancy where we had two hard drives that I backed, you know, I would, I would download it to one hard drive and then download the same thing to another hard drive so that. There would be there would be a redundancy there, and, and both drives would have the same thing. Right. But you didn't get a chance uh, to actually look at your footage. You know, for all you know, some of that stuff might not have come out. Exactly, and so I didn't yeah. get a chance to look at it until Monday. You know, and right. so it's it's really nerve wracking when you don't have that physical tape backup where you yeah. can be like, well, all right, no, if no matter what happens, I've got the tape, and I can always go back. You know, yeah. it's like once you wipe that card, that's it. Like you can't how, go how back. How much do these P two cards cost? They're pretty pricey. Yeah, they're they're. I think now they've come down a little bit, but they're still pretty expensive. I think a thirty-two gig card is still like four or five hundred dollars. Right. Yeah, they're really kind of. It's kind of silly how expensive they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 you were shooting ten eighty p. Actually, seven twenty. Okay, is that what your camera does, or is that just what you decided? Like you didn't need to go higher. Uh, I, no, my camera can do ten eighty, uh, but I went with seven twenty for a couple reasons. One because it it shoots at 24 frames a second uh, natively at 720, and so with that I can also it has like the ability to do a very cam where I can actually adjust the frame rate of the camera in camera. Okay. Which um which some cameras don't have that ability, and I I it didn't have that ability with 1080. Um, it only had that ability with 720, and also the. Uh, the 24 frames a the 24 frames a second native mode works looks better in 720 at least the tests that I did it, I thought it looked better in 720 than 1080. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people like that that 24 frame look um, because it, it's a little bit more filmic. filmic. Yeah. yeah, I mean <laughs> yeah. when that came out about I guess what now seven eight years ago, um, it was really popular with with indie filmmakers because it really did have a. Uh, you know, a, a noticeable difference than traditional thirty, you know, thirty frame or twenty nine nine seven frame yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, video. And and you 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 uh, you and I talked about this before. You cut in Premiere. I did. Yeah, I cut in okay. Adobe Premiere. Okay, so you you wrote, you directed, you shot, and you edited. <laughs> yes, it's wow. one man show. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was not by choice. Uh, let's be clear. Uh, well, I mean, some of it was. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I. I directed it which is directing is is kind of the passion that i have that's what i that's what i want to ultimately only do um but one of the things with independent productions is you you can't really pay a lot of people to do things and so (laughs) it always comes down to well if i can't pay someone to do it then that means i'm gonna have to do it myself and so that's when a lot of the stuff comes out that's when like you know i i write the the movies which that's easy enough in the sense that you know, I can I can take as long as I want, and there's no there's no schedule there. And I mean, eventually, I would love to. I don't consider myself a writer, and so eventually, I would love to have somebody who's an actual writer to write better stories than what I can come up with, and then I'll just direct them. And as far as shooting it, I shot it because, like I said, you know, I, I can't afford to hire a DP, and things were kind of tight in the cabin as it was. I mean, it was the cabin itself slept, I think, like seven or eight people comfortably. And we had 13 to 15 people there. Wow. Uh, depending on the weekend. And That's so, you, yeah, so we had people sleeping on floors and, and sleeping in cot. I mean, it was, it was, 
In the it winter, no less. In, in the winter, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was mayhem. Um, wow. And so I just, I just couldn't justify getting another body in there to shoot what I could essentially shoot yeah. um, with my limited ability. And so, and then same thing with editing. You know, it's, it's, you know, I've been, I've, ed- I've certainly edited enough stuff, kind of um, over the course of of my film career, but, um, and I've edited a couple features and whatnot. But it's like I said, it's if it's something where if I have the time. And uh, I'm not I'm not kind of pressed into well this is going to be out in a month or whatever right then uh, then I can I can't afford to pay people so guess I'm doing it myself yeah hmm. the, uh, the editing always seems especially if you've got what do you say twenty hours uh, yeah it came up to about twenty hours I mean you got twenty hours of footage just getting it down to ninety minutes I mean that's that's exhausting right there. I mean, did you, did you, so you wrote, but did you have a shot list? Did you have storyboards? You, yeah. Storyboards, pre-visualization. I mean, did you do that kind of stuff or did you just kind of know what it was in your head? No, I, I there's a, there's an, a, an extremely, uh, uh, crazy amount of pre-production that I like to go through for, for any of the stuff that I do. I mean, I've, I feel like, I feel like as a filmmaker, everyone goes through a period of time where when they first start out that they think, oh, yeah, you know, like I want to film this movie. I've got a story. I've got a script, whatever. I'm just going to go out and do it, and I'm just going to wing it. I know the shots in my head. I think I know how I want to get this going, and everyone has a situation where they run into where all of a sudden it's just a disaster, and not, they, they miss shots that they were supposed to get, and it's just it becomes a huge nightmare, and you realize that, you know, this really has to be planned out. Um, as thoroughly as humanly possible in order for this to go out, go off kind of without a hitch, or at yeah. least with as little hitches as possible. Mm. Um, and so, so I go through a pretty extensive process of, you know, obviously there's the script, which goes through several rewrites and all this other stuff, but then breaking it down to, you know, a full shot list of, of every single scene and every single shot and every scene, every cutaway, uh, and then... For every weekend that we filmed, there was an order in which we had to shoot to maximize the amount of lighting changes and angle changes. And, you know, some actors weren't there on some weekends because they weren't needed. So we have to, like, minimize the amount of people in the cabin at any point. So although I didn't do any specific storyboarding because I can't I can't draw. And so <laughs> yeah, storyboarding is, yeah, storyboarding, it, it, everything is just a, a, a round a stick figure, like a meatball on a toothpick. It's just... <laughs> It's terrible looking, and I can never really figure things out that way. So, from, so I just kind of write a giant shot list for every scene that kind of describes exactly the framing that I want and like how the action is going to unfold and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think we had, I think the grand total was, I think like five hundred and eighty something shots in, the, in the, the whole movie, yeah. something along those lines. Nice. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's all. I have to plan it all out because especially now as you as you kind of get into bigger budgets and bigger productions and now you're bringing in five and six actors plus crew members plus you're you know you're you're in a cabin and you only have a certain limited amount of time to work you you can't be screwing around you can't sit there and be like oh you know what what should I do next you know sure. you, you have to have all this stuff planned out way in advance because you know it, it just you just can't afford to otherwise you'll you'll never get it done yeah yeah hmm. Did, uh, if you had had uh, somebody else running a second camera, would that have helped you? No, I don't think so. It's, it's. I've never. To be honest, I've never actually had someone run a second camera, but I can only imagine it being incredibly difficult. Only because it's hard enough to light for one camera. Yeah. Um. But if you have to have a second camera, then you got to worry about 
lighting for both cameras, and then you have you know you got to get stands out of the way. And if it was a larger production, it might be easier. Yeah. Um, but with the limited amount of resources and people, I, I feel like that would actually make things more complicated than easier. Well, I mean, I guess that that brings us to lighting. I mean, how did you deal with all of that? Did you try to use available when you could, or did you were you lighting every scene? Uh, well, I dealt with lighting very poorly. Hmm. Uh, basically, I mean, the lighting came out. I would the lighting came out okay, but I would say that's that's one of the things I was not as big a fan of uh, in the movie as it came out. I mean, I have a lighting kit, and so. You know, I kind of I had a, a few people on hand that would help me kind of move the lights around and kind of direct it in certain areas to get where we need. But the lighting was was not an, the lighting that I had was not enough, and um, because of the time and everything, it, it became difficult to kind of light it perfectly yeah. every time. So well, you know what I find fascinating? Like there's scenes outside at night. Mm-hmm. Um, it just goes to show you in the really big budget stuff, like Hollywood level stuff how lit stuff outside actually is. Sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they have these huge like thousand watt lights with scrims and stuff just to give just a little ambient lighting to everything around so they could, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's, sure. it's amazing <laughs> when you think about like how much you have to do to actually make night look like night in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love looking at, you ever watch like the old movies from like, you know, before, I don't know, before the sixties, and they, they, they would shoot in the daytime and then just underexpose yep. everything. They yeah. just dial it all down. And you can still see like shadows on the ground sometimes. Yeah, yeah and, they, that was and like weird, the big you know, thing. clouds in the sky. It's like, huh. They still do that sometimes oh, on yeah. TV yeah. shows and stuff. Really? The whole underexposing for nighttime stuff. Yeah. That's silly. It's and <laughs> you can do a, you can do a lot of that stuff in post now. Like they, 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 they do a lot of a lot of filmmakers do day for night stuff hmm. um, where they'll shoot during the day and then in post production you can uh you know you can darken everything and make it look like night and they'll go into like after effects or something and add headlights onto cars so that it looks like the cars are driving at night and oh, sure. um, I guess that makes sense. The biggest I think that the biggest rule of thumb supposedly which I've never really shot day for night but um the biggest rule of thumb is you can't see the horizon. Mm, right. Just, that's the only thing. They like you can do anything you want but just never show the horizon yeah. and you <laughs> should be able to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny it's uh, you you also had another problem in that there were scenes in your movie where people were walking through snow yeah and you're showing tracks and you have to be careful that like if you do a shot twice you know what i mean that you don't show tracks where you've walked before and that kind of stuff no oh yeah well th- see in a in a real production that would have been a concern <laughs> <laughs> uh in our production since we had so many other things going on that you know, there are several times where there are tracks like that are clearly seen, and we're just like, you know what, whatever. There are certain concessions that have to be made. That's yeah. going to be one of them. I don't have a time to sweep out all the tracks and for every take. So, uh, so yeah. So normally you would have somebody who would make sure that every take was consistent like that. But, yeah, 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 but yeah. in some and some sometimes it doesn't really matter. No, you know? no, I'm not saying necessarily does. I just think it's just the the things that you you don't consider when you're not thinking about it like a filmmaker would. You yeah, know, the, like, well, yeah. What you're talking about is continuity. And yeah, that's, that can be really huge, especially in multi take and multi camera. Yeah, uh, productions. You yeah, know, having there's there's someone you know a script supervisor who mm-hmm. makes sure that the lines get said the same way every time, and then there's someone who just sits there watching every single take making sure that you know that watch was in that corner of the table and then the glass was over here and yep. then 
you know, the food was over, you know, like that Ugh, kind of stuff. Those people are really <laughs> anal. <laughs> well, they, have, they have to be, man. Because well, uh, if you miss that, that's the kind of stuff that jumps out. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, I, I, I guess that's the next question. The script, I mean, did you let people ad lib at all in their conversations with each other? Like, you know, when the, when the two guys are out on the porch talking about how he was hitting on the girl, mm. you know, and that kind of stuff. I mean, is that note for note what you wrote? Or is it sort of like, all right, I, this is generally what I want you to say. And they went off a little bit, but it made it more natural or, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Uh, that, well, that the, the scene you're talking about, that particular scene, um, that was that was just about word for word that, okay. in, in the script. Uh, for the most part, I would say uh, most people kind of went, Word for word on the script, I would say. I would say. I mean, there is a little bit of ad libbing, uh, but not not a, a terrible, not a lot of it. I mean, not not to say that I didn't I didn't allow it. I, most uh, everyone who kind of worked on the film, uh, you know, I, I put a lot of trust in, and they, I thought they did fantastic. And so, whenever they had had an idea or 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 a suggestion, you know, I was always open to it and they would say, oh, what if I did this? Or what if I said that? Or whatever. Or can I do something here? Um, I was always open to it. So uh, it wasn't so much that, you know, I was really anal about it. It was, But somehow it, it kind of, it never really got that far. I mean, there were a few little, little added ones here and there, but for the most part, it was, it was kind of, uh, it, it was kind of word for word. It's, it's, nice. it's, uh, and, and the cast, I mean, we know one of them has been a guest on our show, Chris Keating. Right. Uh, right. How did you find these people? Are they friends or are they? Did you put out a call or did you? You know. Well, I, I started with I started with friends because um, uh, you know I I kind of I know a few actors obviously kind of living in New York and and kind of being in the film uh, area you you obviously meet a lot of actors and, and performers and whatnot and so I I knew some actors. And the first thing we did was, because this is going to be kind of a low-budget production and because it was going to be asking a lot of my actors um, to essentially drive up to the middle of nowhere and stay in a crowded cabin in minus eight-degree weather uh, for this horror movie, you know, I wanted to make sure that I, I got people who, would, who I could trust to, to kind of carry it through. And yeah. so I didn't want to just put a, just a general posting on a website and get a lot of strangers in. So what I did was, I, the first thing I did was I had, you know... Uh, the friends of mine who were actors, I had them kind of audition, and then anyone they knew who they would recommend or feel comfortable recommending, then I would have them audition. And once we kind of got through everyone that we that had some sort of connection to somebody else, uh, then we kind of put a, a general casting call out. But but we kind of cast everybody. The only the only general casting call we put out was for. The uh, the prologue in the beginning is for the the young Jacob Marr and uh, Jacob Marr's mother, which is those are really the only two that ended up going into a, a kind of an open casting call where we kind of I put a thing on Mandy dot com and right. and got a bunch of resumes and headshots and they had to do like auditions and stuff like that. Um, and that was also but, the the part of the movie that you could probably shoot in one weekend or you know you did that that was a less of a time suck for the people. Exactly. That was that was a one weekend shoot. That was in the beginning of June, and uh, we just went up there with it. And that was that was a, that was a much easier shoot, obviously for I mean for temperature wise, but also the crew was much smaller. There was only the three actors, um, and then you know a couple crew members, and that was really about it. So it was all around that was like an easier weekend anyway. Um, 
but yeah, that was really it. Every, we we kind of fi- I, I was able to find enough people, or I was able to audition enough people and find enough people to uh, to cast the main actors without too big of a problem. It's okay. So I just have one inside question that I want to give away the movie or anything like that. Okay, <laughs> but, but in your in your head, this you you as far as I've seen, you don't really explain the the stone, right? In your head. What was it, and where did it come from? Uh, I mean, honestly, in my in my head, I, I it's obviously uh, it's not. I don't necessarily consider it something alien or something specific in that way. I mean, I guess how I've always kind of rationalized it, or the way I've always kind of had it in my head, was that it's almost like this radioactive thing. Not necessarily radioactive, but in the sense that, like how how something that's radioactive affects you physically i almost felt like this is something that just affects people mentally okay. and although it necessarily although it won't actually it's not telling people to kill people so to speak but it's more of just affecting people's minds in a certain way that is causing them to do be more kind of, violent and yeah 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 and so it's like if you're a little bit off or whatever like it'll just kind of okay i was just wondering if you level. had a backstory in your own head a little bit. I mean, not not really. I I, I have to. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty lazy writer. This is why. <laughs> this it's is why a, it's I a MacGuffin. Be it's yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> it's I, I kind of I, I come up with enough to get me to the next spot, and then that's really about it. There's the people who are trained at writing and and know what they're doing. Um, they'll actually they'll, you know they think these things through and and actually are prepared for this type of stuff. It's uh, so okay. So you got your movie. You got it edited. In the day, in the in the you know current climate of the internet and and digital distribution and DVDs and distribution companies or independent distribution, like how how do you go about doing that? Uh, well, there's a there's a number of different ways. I mean, the kind of the there's no real set path, and so what makes it so complicated is is just that is you know every there's a lot of people that talk about festivals and thinking about festivals is the way to go um and that's the way that's the way it used to be i mean 10 years ago the only way you could really get your movie distributed was you would make it you would then get it accepted to a bunch of festivals and then you would hope that there'd be a distributor at one of these festivals and they would sign it and then it would go on it's kind of genius um, that you just said 10 years ago like in the old hmm. days 10 yeah. years ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's it's kind of crazy how everything has changed um but now now there are so many festivals. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a website called Without a Box, but mm-hmm. uh, it's essentially a website that is a one-stop shop for you know tens of thousands of festivals. So you can go to this. Wow. It used to be you would have to fill out a form for every festival and mail it in separately along with like DVDs and, and copies and whatever. And what, so what Without a Box did was they kind of made a centralized location where you fill all your forms out at once and then uh, you would apply to festivals through that website, and then they send out all the information to whatever, wherever it needs to go and whatever it needs for, for submission materials. Doesn't it mean that all these festivals get 400 million applications then? That is exactly what happened, is <laughs> you end up now, instead of festivals getting you know, 200 submissions, they now get 2,000 submissions or 3,000 submissions because it becomes much easier. And so that has kind of grown the entire festival circuit. So now instead of having a core of uh, very popular festivals, you now have a lot of fringe festivals and you've got so many that 
it's become oversaturation in that distributors now don't only they only go to specific ones, which are the biggest ones. And so although you can kind of go into the festival circuit and you can play at a bunch of lower tier or fringe festivals, no one's going to see it. No, no one, at least of, of importance, is going to see it. Uh, and so other than the fact that you get to put the little, you know, the little leaf thingies on your, on your DVD case that say, I, I screened at the, you know, the Boise Film Festival or whatever, it, it's really not going to do anything for you. So it, uh, it just adds like another tier to the process. Exactly. You have to be exactly. known enough in the fringe stuff to get invited or accepted to the big ones, which is where the people actually are. Exactly. So the, then this this kind of leads to the question where you know I I liken um, indie filmmaking to indie music making, and you know you you can on any given weekend evening in a major city, you know, like Chicago, New York, or whatever. You can go out to a, a club and see some pretty good music. You know, so you can see some some band that you've never heard of, uh, and, and and you know, the guys are you know good tunes and good performance. But these guys, you know, will probably never ever go anywhere. You know, you're not going to see these guys on on uh you know on the big screen or make a million dollars or anything like that. But you know, any, any if you were to sit down and talk to one of these guys, they're like, hey, what's your what's your plan? What are you guys doing this for? You know, it's it's interesting to hear. You know, some people are are sort of chasing that. You know that dream and trying to trying to hit it big, quote unquote. Uh, but other people are just just doing it because they like to. Uh, so in that sort of in that sort of uh, context, wh- what's what's your take on like why are you doing this? Are you looking to to make this? I mean, are you trying to be? You know, is your goal to be like a quote unquote big time? You know, Hollywood uh, director. I mean, you want to do this full time? Is this your ultimate career goal? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, that's that is the that is the ultimate goal is so that I can. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't need to be a, a huge Hollywood director. I mean, really, I just want to do it for a living, you know. So if I can direct movies for a living, then you know that's that's kind of what I'm shooting for. I'm obviously, you know, I'm a horror guy. I'm a sci-fi guy, so I would love to make horror and sci-fi movies um, continuously. But uh, but yeah, that's that's the idea is to try and go that route. And so what I try, what I'm trying to do is every production try and go a little one step further than the previous one and see how far I can get and you know build it step by step kind of thing until I get to a point where I can kind of do it full time. Mm. It's it's how, go ahead Dan. I was just going to say how, how far I mean I I'm I'm not as familiar with your work as Bill is. How, so how many how far along in the process are you? How many films have you made so far? Uh I've made 3 features um and uh you know a handful of shorts or whatever. I would say the the last movie that I had done, which was uh, a comedy. It's the only comedy I've ever done uh, before Killing of Jacob Marr. It was uh, it was a a mockumentary about a, a group of Dungeons and Dragons players. Hmm. So if you're I don't know if you're familiar with Dungeon Dragon Dungeons and Dragons at all, but uh, no, we're nerdy. Okay, <laughs> I always have to preface that because or at least I have to always throw that out there just because I don't want to imply. But uh, yeah, so I, that kind of was the first decent success in the, in the sense that it's on Netflix and you know you can watch it and that that is like super super low budget and then from that I was able to kind of get enough money to buy a more expensive camera which is the one that I have now and then uh, allowed me to to kind of get a larger budget with the killing of Jacob Marr and then the idea is with Jacob Marr we we got a distribution deal uh probably like midway through last year so it's the movie right now is sitting in a distribution house, kind of waiting to 
to kind of go out. So that's eventually going to get to like Netflix and it's supposed to be distributed worldwide uh, in the next several months or so. So the idea is once that kind of gets out there is to try and raise even more money for the next project, which is another horror movie, which is a creature feature. So as of right now, I'm still really early in the process. Um, you know, obviously I've got a couple movies under my belt, so I'm not completely green, but I'm still not. I'm still not in an area where I'm all that close. I probably, I probably need to get another movie or so before I can kind of, hopefully, make that switch over to, to kind of full time movie making. That's still. It's really. Uh, that's kind of exciting and encouraging. I mean, uh, that you you're, you've already kind of started to see some some return on your our investment you know obviously you're not you're not you know living the high life just yet but the fact that you can actually make money you, you've actually earned some money <laughs> um, <laughs> doing doing something that you like that's that's really nice man i mean and i mean i'm sure i don't need to tell you how many folks there are out there in the creative world be it musicians photographers filmmakers comedians whatever who you know aren't even there yet you know that's that's a pretty significant watermark so uh, i'm happy to hear that you've uh You've broken that line, so it to speak. It is pretty cool. I mean, is there any room for completely independent distribution? You know, uh, getting enough buzz to do some, you know, online screenings for $2 and, you know, selling DVDs. Like, I mean, does anybody ever do that? I mean, I think if you're, if you're really good at social media, uh, I think there's a possibility for it. Uh, I, I'm not particularly great at social media. I mean, I, I really, I just kind of started using Twitter, I think, during the production of the movie, and I barely really used it. And, and same thing with, like, Facebook. Um, but if you're, if you're really good at it, I guess there's a possibility. That, the problem is, is there's so much out there. There's so many movies and there's so many things going on. There's so much to grab your attention. It's difficult to get if you don't have the money or the resources to be able to advertise. Um, it's really difficult to get people to, to kind of tune in to what you're trying to sell or to what you're trying to show. Uh, you know, we did, when, after the movie was released, I kind of got into this idea because, you know, I had a Facebook page during the production of the film and we ended up getting around like 1,900 fans or so during the course of the production where we kind of posted production photos and stuff like that. And it worked out really well. And so I kind of got excited and I thought, oh, well, wouldn't it be great if uh, instead of doing festivals, I'll do like an independent thing where I'll rent out tiny little independent art house cinemas around the country and screen the movie. And that way, all these different people on Facebook, they can, they can come see the film and we'll kind of travel the country and like show this movie. Kind of like the old kind of Corbin days, you know, like where Roger Corman days where like he, they would print out a hundred prints and then it would circulate. Uh, throughout the different cinemas over, you know, over weeks and weeks as opposed to just everything being released at one time. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we tried that, and I lost so much money <laughs> doing that. It was ridiculous. I mean, really nobody showed up is really what happened. Uh, you know, we, we went to Austin, Texas. We went to Jacksonville, Florida. We went to Pennsylvania. Um, we went to upstate New York. You, and didn't, you didn't pre-sell your tickets. That's why, right? I'm guessing? Well, I mean, we, we, there's... Um, no, not really. I mean, we tried to. What ended up happening was I would have to rent the cinema straight up. And then from there, I would advertise and try and sell tickets that way. Yeah. And, and, then, uh, and then obviously do it that way, you know, kind of uh, have them drive that way. But it, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't work out so well. I think when we went to Austin, there was like, you know, 10 people that showed up. And then, you know, Jacksonville Ouch. was, I think, 20 people. 
Uh, and then there was one in upstate New York, which you know was around the place where it was filmed. I think uh, five people showed up, and oh, man. two of them were my parents. <laughs> oh, so no. it's it was yeah. I mean, disheartening. The, the, it was it was really disheartening and uh, and very costly. I mean, the the best ones we had we had the premiere in the city, which worked out really well. And then we also I screened it back home in in Massachusetts where I'm from, uh, and that was that worked really well. But uh, but all the other ones, it was it was a little disheartening that unless you have the the ability to kind of advertise and really put it out there, because I mean I, I contacted local newspapers and and like radio stations and like everywhere I could that wouldn't cost me a, a fortune to try and get it out there, but it's really difficult to try and do like that that independent thing because it's just it's so expensive, you know, yeah. to get people's yeah, attention. Yeah. Of course, uh, I have a friend who is also in, uh, yet another friend, uh, an indie <laughs> filmmaker. Uh, but he's been, he's been in it for a really long time. Like he started right out of school and he's been doing it for a good 15 years now. So he's, he's probably a little further up the chain than you are. But, mm-hmm. but all of the stuff that you're talking about, he was there. You know, <laughs> this, is, this is definitely a, a familiar sounding story. And um, he, he finally got you know, funding and, and produced a pretty decent um, film and he he's he sort of t- uh, took after the the Kevin Smith red state um, model the road tour thing not un- not unlike what you were just talking about but the key uh, the reason why he was able to make money at it was was what I just touched on before was he he sold tickets ahead of time so mm-hmm. he wouldn't you know he wouldn't necessarily you know f- shell out the cash to to go to someplace un- until there were enough people who paid already to warrant it. That's and then he would also, and he would also, you know, sweeten the deal where, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to ask someone to, you know, pitch in five or 10 bucks for a movie ticket, but you know, that's, that's still not a ton of cash. So what he would do is he, like, I think the, the base cost for his, you know, for his uh, attendance was 20 bucks. And that also got you like a poster. And then for 50 bucks, you get like a signed poster and a DVD and a bunch you know, like, he made these little packages for people to sort mm-hmm. of, you know, sweeten the ante and then get a get more money and then hopefully get more people. Um, uh, the it's one like thing Kickstarter he had, back in the day, yeah, kind of. The the, the thing I, I should also mention though um, that that might play into this is he, he's not doing horror stuff. Um, he he actually found a really amazing little niche for himself. He did this. Uh, the film in question is called uh, Act Naturally, and um, long story short, it's. It's set in a uh, a naturalist camp, which uh, is the more modern way of saying a, a nudist camp. And apparently, there's this huge scene of uh, nudists all over the United States who, you know, are are you know very enthusiastic about the whole nudist movement or naturalist movement. And they, you know, they're they're looking at his film as a as you know a pro pro naturalist uh, feature. So so they're you know he had that little niche working for him to help to help uh help things along um so <laughs> that's genius but yeah it, long story short it worked i mean he's actually i think he's actually starting to actually make some money off of it now. i mean he put, he put a ton of his own money in but mm-hmm. um but anyway it, it was just it was kind of encouraging well, and it's always interesting to hear i think that stories. i mean that also begs the question of whether or not do you make art that you uh, that you know will sell Will you change your art to do something more commercial, or do you do what you do and try to make it work commercially? Yeah, I think I think as with any with anyone doing anything creative, I think there's a balance you have to strike as far as you try and do something that you're happy with creatively, but 
there's a certain amount of concessions that you have to make in order to try and make it sell commercially. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to do it, do it for a living, um, you know, you, you, I feel like you almost can't have it always your own way. You know, you, you almost can't do it like, oh, no, I'm only going to do it uh, what I want and that's the end. I mean, I guess you can, but I feel like it, it makes an already difficult process nearly impossible um, I think you have to. You have to kind of make some concessions and try and say, all right, well, here's what the story I want to tell. Here's the movie I want to make. Um, if I change this little thing or if I move this little thing around or what have you, it'll make it a little bit more commercially viable. Can I live with that? And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it can be a slippery slope, I guess, but uh, you just kind of have to, I don't know, you have to kind of just trust yourself and... and do as best you can. Yeah, that's a, that's a classic story, though. I mean, again, kind of referring back to my pal JP, who did this film. When he and I, when he he first pitched this his idea for uh, his next movie to me, this was like years ago. I was, living, I was still living in Chicago. It was completely different than what it ended up as. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, that movie probably took six major turns in from from the day he pitched it to me in like two thousand four. Till the day it came out in like 2008 or 2000. No, actually, I think it came out even later than that, like 2009 or 2010. Um, you know, and you know, tons of different casting changes, uh, soundtrack changes, script. I mean, like literally, the the first film. If you look at the first draft and compare it to the last draft, it's two different movies. Yeah. You know, completely. It's not even close. Hey, and br- it happens all the time. Yeah, hey, I'm just gonna say it happens all the time. Hey, Brad, uh, how did you do the audio, by the way? Uh, I had a sound guy. Um, so you were very, recording sound separately? Yeah, I had a, a, a production sound guy. Uh, his name's Scott Smitelli, um, who was on set with like a. He had his own rig with a production mixer and a boom mic, and so he he rec- he recorded all the sound separately, and then we used a slate to sync everything back up in post. I mean, couldn't you theoretically, or the camera at that level, do basically what he's doing, but instead of the recorder, plug it into the camera and have it all synced? You know what I mean? You, yeah, you can. Um, you can instead of doing like the sync sound of having it done separately. You you can plug it directly into the camera. You just you just limit your freedom that way. Yeah. So and of, also of motion. You mean? That yeah, kind of freedom of motion. And right. also, um, you know, when he's got a, he's got his mixer, and so he's he's constantly making adjustments on the fly. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's easier to have him separate from the camera sure. and record it as a separate option. More work in post, directly. though. No. A little bit. Not not terribly so. It was um it was actually the first time I had worked with with having to sync up sound at least on the, on this large of a scale, and so it uh, I thought it was going to be a little bit harder, but it really wasn't that much harder because you have the audio from the camera, and so the way the kind of the workflow that I would get into was instead of syncing up all the sound for every take because I tend to take a lot of takes, so you know you'd have like seven, eight to ten takes. And rather than syncing up all the audio for every take and then bringing that into your timeline and editing it that way, I would watch all the takes from the camera audio and pick out the ones that I liked and the right. sections I would like. And then once I finished kind of that little rough of the, uh, of the scene itself, then I would go back and then be like, okay, I need the audio from take one and take yeah. three and so on and then sync that up. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that much more difficult than uh, if it was direct. And there must be some sort of system where as long as you name them similarly or the same, there's something that'll sync them up automatically now? There's actually, yeah, there's actually a program that will sync it up automatically. I've, n- I've never used it, but I got a friend of mine who. Oh, it does is camera into, audio to the other audio. And it well, it'll it. do any audio. I think what you're talking about is, is pluralized, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, uh, yeah, and that basically, y- you can take multiple audio tracks from multiple sources. It doesn't have to be necessarily from a camera or from an audio recorder. And it basically just does peak peak matching, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or In fact, just, I think that it's built into... I think the new version of Final Cut Pro yeah, it might, has that. it might have built it built in. in. I'm surprised that Premiere doesn't either, because, man, a lot of people are moving to Premiere. People yeah, like Premiere. True. I've been seeing it more and more. Yeah. Um, and you, you also, you, you're a, you're a PC guy. You're a windows guy. Uh, yeah, I'm a, win- I am a right. windows guy, which, which I, when I met you and we talked about it, I was like, good for you. <laughs> uh, the, um, yeah. I don't know. It's just it, it, movie making. It's, it's, it's sort of all the things that are a pain in the neck about photo multiplied in another dimension. Yeah, I'm like it's it's over time, man. Yeah, it's it's time. it's, it's just, thirty of them per second now. <laughs> uh, you, I, I bow to you, Brad, because it's exhausting to me even thinking about that much work for something, you know, and condensing it down to two percent of what it was, you know, um, it's just it's fascinating. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough. I mean, but I feel the same way about photography. I mean, I could never, I could never do. I mean, I've I've seen some of your work, Bill, and and the the different things that you do with the camera. I could I could never even think of doing you know visually at least with a with a with a moving camera so it's like yeah you know i mean we all have our specialties yeah i guess you're right it's uh it's yeah no it's interesting uh all right so what do you guys think about this new ipad uh i think it looks pretty cool brad what do you think you know i haven't seen too much about it to be perfectly honest um It, it does have a very very high resolution screen yeah, so man, is that the, is that the big thing? What is the big thing about the iPad three? What is what is its the new screen? The screen. Yeah. That's it. Is it the, just the well, screen? Yeah, but that's it. Is the screen is what twenty? What's what is it? It's uh well, it's twice in each direction. So what was the old one was ten twenty four. So it's twenty forty eight by fourteens uh, and change. Something so it's like it's almost as high res as say a thirty inch desktop display, but in ten inches. All right. Yeah. So is is it the same? Is the screen the same size as the previous one? Yeah. Physically, yeah. Physical dimensions are the same. Okay. So so I guess my question is how how what is the what resolution do you need on a ten inch screen? Like what what how much is is too much? Like well, this, how much do you really realistically need for a ten inch screen? This ends up being essentially uh, the the same same general area as like the iPhone four and most of the new Android phones, which is to the point at which you don't see pixels. I see. Yeah, and, and, then, and, and, the and that's whole, the thing. So the whole thing feels a lot more like a magazine than a computer screen. Exactly, and, and you know, and then justifying the need is is a real that's a real tricky question, you know, because that that's you know, like how fast does your computer need to be? You know, how much disk space do you need? How much memory do you need? You know, it's like you can you can ask that question for just about anything, and and you know, the answer is almost always well, sure, more is always better. You know, wouldn't it be nice yeah. if there was more? <laughs> sure. I, I, although you know, people always said on the old iPads, oh, photos look so good on them, but I never like. I I always thought that they just looked pixelated, like on a computer screen. Um, I didn't think that photo. I mean, they looked they looked as good as they look on my computer screen. You know, right? Um, with with this level of resolution, they should look as good as a print, which is. It's- yeah. Which is, it's going to be interesting, man. It could I'm be pretty, pretty stunning. Um, yeah. And that, that was always one of my... I, I bought, uh, as as listeners to the podcast know, I bought one with Dan's help a year ago and didn't like it at all and sold it two weeks later. Because I was like, the resolution, it like I might as well just use my laptop, you know? Um, but with the, with the doubling of the resolution in each direction, that, I mean, that starts to get interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess, I guess the thing that... The question I have is, like, obviously, you mentioned... 
you know, how much, you know, how how fast you need for a computer, how much memory, that type of thing. But there's a there's a there's a definite reason, there's a definitive reason why you would need that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, like what what is it in, in your computer? Well, do I, how fast do I need? Well, what are you running on it? You know, what are right, you right. doing with it? Yeah. And I feel like. That's the same thing with the with this this new iPad. It's like okay, well they doubled the resolution. Do I need that? Well, what are you doing with it? I mean, if you're if well, you're people just are reading on it, I guess is the okay. thing. I mean, uh, if it, it used to even when looking at web pages and that kind of stuff. I mean, the text. I, I mean, do you have you own an iPhone four or, or have have you obviously you've probably seen one. Uh, I mean, just t- doubling the resolution, having the text that crisp on these super high res displays really does make reading a lot nicer. Um, cause I mean, you just don't see any pixels. It looks like it's printed. Um, and not the same way as like an e-ink display does. That's a whole other ball of wax. But, um, but just that, that, that we are now to the point where electronic screen can be as good as a printed page. Mm-hmm. It makes magazine, digital magazines interesting, you know? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm inter- I actually, I ordered one. And in fact, as we've been talking, I got my, my tracking <laughs> uh, thing from Apple. You did? Yes, I did. Uh, apparently it that. shipped. Now the thing is that it shipped from Pennsylvania and it's huh. only got like, you know, an hour's worth of distance to go, which means it's going to like ship and then be sitting at the place down the street from me for four days. I'm sure. Huh. Um, Cause yeah. that's what Apple always does. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually not uh, an early adopter. Uh, when it comes to this sort of stuff, but I, I broke my pattern and placed an order, an order uh, for one as well, although I waited about 24 hours before uh, everyone else did, and I'm wondering what that ha- what that's going to have, what kind of an effect that's going to have on the actual delivery time. I haven't, I haven't gotten any emails yet. You know what somebody showed, Brad, from a filmmaking point of view, which was really interesting? And uh, from getting back to the pre the visual previs and and just uh, storyboarding kind of thing, is the the camera in it is now 1080p. Now you're not going to go shoot a movie with it, right? Right. I guess you could. But what people do is they they'll take their iPad and they can go out and they can shoot each shot like just a quick like mock up and edit it in the iMovie or Avid. I guess has software on there too. Just to cut together a really quick thing to be like, oh, this is kind of what I want, you right. know. So you could actually, you know, previs the movie with a few friends around your house just to get the shots and stuff the way you're thinking, uh, in a way that's much easier than having to shoot it with your camera and transfer it over and open the thing. Like literally, just oh, slide that one over. Okay, you know what I mean? Like oh, let's try right. this shot. Um, which when somebody explained that to me, I was like, you know what? That's actually kind of a neat way of using it. You know, as sort of a, a visual sketch pad as it were. Sure, um, sure. I mean, I guess the biggest thing... Now, I know, Bill, you mentioned you, you had an iPad 2, but you returned it. Yeah. Um, Dan, did you have Did you have an iPad 2? I didn't. Um, I, I'm actually... I was pretty resistant to the iPad. Um, when, it, when it first came out, uh, you know, I spent a ton of time, like everyone else did, analyzing it and looking at it and thinking about it. But at the end of the day, it didn't really solve a problem that I had. Yeah. So I couldn't really justify dropping any kind of money on it. And, you know, when, when I would encounter a friend or a colleague who had one, I, you know, spend the five, ten minutes poking around at it. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, but then what wound up happening was my sister got one as a gift, and she <laughs> sort of had the same same experience. You know, she played with it for a few weeks or a few months and, and then wound up just sticking it on the shelf and it wasn't doing anything. And uh, she's like, hey, do you want this? I'm like, hey, yeah, sure. So, I, you know, I, I took it from her and... And once I had a little bit more time with it, um, I slowly started spending more and more time with it. First, first playing games, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, and then as I got um, as as more and more apps 
started to um, started to surface, you know, taking better advantage of the larger screen and and you know the better features. Um, uh, I started to find some pretty cool applications for it. Um, the one that 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 really turned my head the farthest, the first was uh, was a, an app, uh, a, a program called Capture Pilot. Uh, in the world of um, higher end digital photography, uh, there's a company out there called Phase One that makes these medium format digital backs, which are these preposterously high high resolution, very expensive, um, ba- you know sensors that go onto the back of medium format cameras uh, and most photographers who use them traditionally uh, tether them to their computers and you know because the, the, the images are just so darn big and so sharp if you want to see if what you just shot is in focus or not you, you kind of need a bigger screen than the little two and a half inch LCD that's on the back of the thing so um, the folks who wrote that the, the software that people use for that is called Capture One and the folks that wrote Capture One uh, came up with this nifty little image server software where you can actually create a little ad hoc wireless network with you, with the computer that you're tethered to have the iPad or any iOS device, actually an iPhone or an iPad, uh, iPod touch. Um, and they can join that wireless network. And with this free software that you can download, you can join that network and then view the images off the computer as they're coming in, which is extremely mm-hmm. useful. Um, and then there's even a little paid upgrade if you want. Uh, you can actually control the camera from the device, um, you know, like shutter and exposure information, uh, which is also really useful. I think with the quadrupled resolution, too, that oh, man, becomes that's more useful. Because, uh, see, I didn't find viewing images on it all that useful. You know, it was kind of well, like, oh, it, looked, it was like looking at them on my phone. I'm like, okay. Well, it's for proofs. I exactly. mean, if you're, if you're on a shoot and you don't want the client sitting there over your shoulder or, the, you know, you know if you have more than one person who you can have them commenting from the side yeah well and the other cool thing (laughs) is that you can actually you can turn on on and off the functionality of uh being able to add star ratings so you can say oh that's a three-star image or a two-star image or color tags you know like red green blue whatever um so that when you're if you just went through a whole you're doing a a shot and you you just did like two or three hundred you know frames of that of that shot you can go back really quickly and see what the client thought. Like yeah. the client was marking his favorites as as or an art director or whoever sure. else. Yeah, it's yeah. it's I, the other thing too, Brett. I mean, like I, I figure I have a little MacBook Air that I usually take on trips, and if I have to edit, actually, you know, edit photos, I'll bring that. Um, but the idea of bringing something, say, on just travel trips that I do with Heather or whatever, where I'm shooting during the day, and I just want to post a couple things up on Facebook or my blog or whatever it is. The idea of like just dumping that J- even JPEGs onto the iPad and just like move them around and, and you know crop a little bit and up the saturation, put them up somewhere is kind of cool. The other the other thing for me though is that people look at my website on the iPad and I almost need it. I need one just to test, you know, just to yeah, just to see what other people are seeing to make sure that um, what they're seeing is what I want them to see. Yeah, the thing I found is 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 now having <laughs> having an iPad. You know, a first-gen iPad uh, for as long as I have. The more you, the more time you spend with it, the more stuff you figure out that you can do with it. You know, and I guess it's the same with any technology. I still don't like the typing, the keyboard. I'm not into. Although apparently the new one has the voice dictation. Question is, that'll be interesting. Is it using the Siri engine? So does it have to be online to do the dictation? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it it would it wouldn't make sense because you know about what half of the iPads sold are are Wi-Fi only. But the iPhone four needs. The yeah, exactly. Siri needs to be online right. for it to work. So they would. I don't think they'd ship a, a, a feature that was only available half the I time. Know, I don't know. I, so I mean, that makes because the typing always drove me nuts. Even browsing the web, people always say, "Oh, it's so great for browsing the web," 
And it generally bothered me. It annoyed me that, first of all, typing URLs. And secondly, links most of the time are not made for a little tiny finger. You know, so well, if you have a have page, you, have you, you tried zoom the split to, keyboard yet? Bill, uh, have I haven't tried that? the split keyboard. Yeah, no, I, I have that setting on mine, and it makes a big difference. Okay, because um, the, the yeah. old keyboard was useless because you have to yeah, have it in your well, lap to use it. Or, yeah, you know. it's not designed for handheld use. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you split the keyboard using that newer feature from, I think, iOS 5 uh, offered that first, uh, that makes a huge difference for, for holding it in your hand yeah. typing. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 an, it's a really neat tool, and I can understand for people who don't want a real computer and just are browsing the web and writing emails and going on Facebook. Yeah, you could use it as your only computer. Yeah. Well, uh, the other thing I, I, I use that now I, I take it on set with me sometimes because I don't want to care. I'm not going to carry my whole laptop with me um, for personal stuff, but there's a really nice, there are a handful of actually really nice uh, VNC uh, clients for it where you can actually, I can remote into my machine at home to check on whatever random stuff without having to carry my home machine, um, you know, and, and have, other, you know, it's it's kind of I, I like to look at it as like a bigger version of my phone with with more entertainment stuff on it. You know, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just interesting. I yeah. I don't know. I go back and forth, but I I ordered one because I need to test stuff on it and and sure. hopefully it'll. But uh, I don't know. We'll find out on on Friday, I guess. I also yeah. or, I also ordered a five D Mark III. Oh right. Hey uh, Brad, what do you think about the digital SLR for video use? Uh, it's, I like it so far. I've, I've dealt with it a little bit. As a matter of fact, um, kind of for, for my day job, I do, uh, I do cinematography work and, uh, we shot a, sh- a TV show that just got picked up by NBC sports. It's called, uh, it's a TV show called American seed. It's going to be airing this fall. It's mm. a, a hunting slash cooking show. So it's like this, it's mm. this farm to table kind of thing where, uh, we follow this guy Ian Knauer, who's like a he's a, a writer for Gourmet Magazine and whatever, and it's his cooking show. And he goes out and he hunts game and then cooks, and you, you get to you know he cooks all these different recipes or whatever. But anyway, bottom line is that the entire show was shot with the uh, the Canon D five or five D. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah and um, Mark II, obviously. Mm. And so that was like my first kind of real exposure with the camera and. So far, it works really well. Uh, the The post production stuff is a little bit of a nightmare, um, yeah. but because uh, it's just, everything is just so compressed, and so you can't, you know, uh, the new version of Adobe Premiere does have like a setting where you can actually import the files directly and edit with them without having to recompress it into something else, which right. is kind of nice. Um, but it's still that working with MOV files are still kind of a pain uh, when you're kind of editing and stuff, but it takes a hell of a shot, you know. I mean, the, it's got. You know, we we were using some Nikon lenses with it uh, that were really fast, like prime lenses, and so they're really warm and kind of gave a, a very shallow depth of field. So, yeah. it. Um, well, that's the thing, right? I mean, having control over depth of field, especially like in in, I'm sure in the horror genre, that has to be useful. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's that. I mean, the Canon 5D and 7D are 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 huge now in in the independent world because they're much they're cheaper than. Than uh, you know professional cameras, and they also kind of give you that that very shallow depth of field of shooting through glass like uh, like thirty five millimeter. So it um, you know I mean it, it looks great. I haven't I haven't I've never actually shot a film with it to really know, but I know you know some of the films I've seen with it look great, and uh, and that like I said the TV show that we shot with it 
looks uh, I think looks fantastic. I I've I've never really gotten into the you know the trenches with it in the middle of a film shoot and see how the the whole production would work, but yeah. So far, from what I've seen, uh, it's it's really nice. It's really good. The, the audio is a little bit of an issue. Just because. oh yeah, you would never use the on-camera audio for right. anything for real. Well, you do it like you did on your other thing. It just for yeah. sync. You just use it yeah, for sync. Yeah, just you just up. And and the the view screen is a little bit of a pain because it's so small. And so like trying to, especially when you're dealing with focus sure. and stuff. Well, a lot of people end up getting like the little like loop add-on in the back, and they get a mm-hmm. follow focus, and they get a shoulder mount. Or the, oh, sure. the other thing that you could do is the you get like a little six or you know six or seven inch LCD with a pass through, because so, yeah. you could take the HDMI out of the camera into a bigger screen, a bigger screen and then yeah. you and then you can send that output out, out of that screen to you know wherever else for other people to see. Know, it's it's, um, it's kind of neat that you could make stuff that high quality for a couple for what is the seven D now fifteen hundred bucks thirteen hundred yeah it's, well now and now the five D is going to be even cheaper. Yeah, the old yeah. 5D, right. You could probably get those for 1500 pretty soon. Well, and have you guys heard about this new film? Uh, I think it's called Active Valor. Yes. Um, th- it's about like Navy SEALs. Yeah. And, and like, uh, I've been following the guy, the DP on that, um, this guy named Hurlbert. I can't remember. I'll, I'll put a link to it in the notes here. But um, he just did a huge little Q&A, like a Twitter-style Q&A, uh, where he answered a bunch of questions about the film. And like 80% of it was, was 5D footage. Um, and then, you know, some of it was film. There's some Alexa and some Sony as well. But I think if you but, go uh, and you light, if you light your scene at the quality that, that I'm sure this movie they did, I mean, right. as long as you're getting all the values inside the range, the dynamic range, and you're shooting at that kind of resolution and whatever, I mean, any of these cameras are going to look good nowadays, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's as much a production quality thing as it is the camera quality technically, you know, at a certain yeah. point. Well, that's that's the separator now is I feel like because the, because the equipment is so readily accessible and now anybody with $1,500 can get a camera that can look as good or look good enough to be able to be shown on, you know, on a theater somewhere or in a theater somewhere yeah. that – kind of the big separator at least i hope is content you know it's it's no longer it's no longer you know way back when <laughs> 15 years ago um where it used to be whatever the greatest cgi was the greatest special effects was or whatever now it's not really the technical side isn't really exciting anymore no one's getting excited by what looks good now it's more of just you know the content is the content good enough you know is it a good story is it a good character is it you know does it is it engaging that type of thing yeah um just because it, technically it's so easy to get the equipment it's yeah it's 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 a whole new world <laughs> <laughs> uh all right well that was fun yeah hey brad thanks for coming on no thanks for having me so guys if, i had a good time if people want to uh go check out the movie where do they go uh right now there's uh it's you know, I have a couple DVD copies, but the for we're really kind of waiting for the distribution to kick in. So uh, you can kind of go to thekillingofjacobmar.com, and we have a few DVD copies left that we're selling. But uh, other than that, it should be out this summer on Netflix and VOD and a whole bunch of other places. And that's uh, Mar with two R's, correct? Mar with two R's, yes. Okay. Uh, all right. And then uh, for everyone else, uh, you can get a hold of us at circuitous.tv, uh, circuitousconversations at gmail.com, and we are at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got anything else to add there, Dan? I don't think so. Okay. This, is, this is good. Yeah, uh, a good Thanks one. for coming on, Brad. It was good chatting with you. Oh, thanks. I had a good time, too. All right. We will see you all next week.